Good morning, Warehouse Church. All right. Listen, you all don't realize how long that intro is until you're just standing up here just like looking at everyone. And so, listen, this morning, uh, my name is Brenton. I am, I'm over the students here for middle school and high school. Uh, and Rick is out. He was performing, he was officiating a wedding, uh, wasn't able to get back in town in time. So he asked me uh, to bring the message this morning. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm used to like high schoolers, right? Teenagers. So for some, I've done this a couple of times, but for some reason I'm a little nervous today. Uh, so to help me with that, I need your entertainment for just a second. So I just ask everyone to stand up. I, I, it's hard to see everyone, but I can see shadows. So I know if you're not participating. All right, put your hands real high in the sky. All right, now wave them back and forth. All right, so now that you all look silly, I don't feel as bad up here now, okay? So thank you for entertaining me for a second to kind of calm my nerves out, right? Like, laughter helps me a lot. So um, we are in week two of our series, The Reason for the Season. And we're celebrating this Christmas season. We're, we're celebrating Jesus coming into the world. Now listen, I love this time of year. I love Christmas. I love the lights. I love the nativity. I love, you know, I just love the fact Jesus came, right? But I worked retail for a lot of years in a jewelry store, and there's nothing like working retail at Christmas time. It's horrible, and I'm so glad I'm out of it. So listen, if you are in the retail world right now, I'm sorry. It gets better, right? But listen, uh, I, I just love this time of year, and we would have no reason to celebrate if Jesus had not come on that very first Christmas, and he is the reason for the season, right? So, but we also have to remember that Jesus is the reason for the season, but he also came to earth for a reason. And so a lot of reasons, right? And that's what this whole series is about. Uh, and we're looking at many of those reasons why Jesus came. And we've got one big central point today that I hope you get from this today. And it is this, that the coming of Jesus was a multi-purpose mission designed to meet multifaceted needs, right? So every one of us in here have different needs. We have different struggles and we're all looking at this from different angles. But Jesus came to meet every one of those needs. And in other words, there is more than one reason that he came. And so for every problem that we have, you can go back to Jesus. And you will find the solution that he provides. So what we're going to focus on today is that Jesus came to redeem people for himself. So Jesus came to redeem a people for himself. But we often ask, and if you're like me, you struggle with this idea of, well, why did God make people, right? Like he didn't need us, so why did he make us? And then what is, what is the point of this just everyday life? And then again, I struggled really hard for this for a long time. What is our purpose, right? So I'm hoping that, that after today, some of those answers will be, will be filled for you. And so what we want to do is I want to go back to the very beginning in Genesis 1, and we see this beautiful account of creation. And the very crown jewel at the end of all this creation was God created man and a woman. He created this couple. And they had, they had, this, they had a purpose. And he created this purpose, and he gave them this job to do. And it was to rule over his world, extend the glory of God to all the earth, and extend it everywhere they went and to everyone they met. And their other purpose was to populate the earth 
and which would also reflect the glory of God. But they were unsuccessful in this. So the world is not filled with people who are giving God's glory. Right? It, is, it doesn't take much for us to see that. Right? We can look around we see poverty. We see wars. We see broken families. We see sickness. We see hurt. We see, we see greed. We see racism. We see all of these horrible, horrible things are in our earth. And the wor- this world is not the way it should be. And everyone knows it. And the reason is that the people God created are not how they should be. So we were doomed from the very moment that sin entered this earth. From the moment that you were born, you were doomed from day one. And so and that's only because of us. We went against the, our design and we have no one else to blame. So what I'm saying is if you care about any of the awful things people deal with daily, any of the things I just mentioned, then you should care deeply about the message that Jesus came to redeem a people for himself. People don't just, he wants people who don't just drift along with the world's current. He's wanting the people who swim against it, right? The question is, is how do we become such people? How do we become people who swim against what the world's telling us? How do we receive Jesus who came to redeem us for himself? And we're going to first look at Titus, but before I want to go to prayer before we open up the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your son and all that you've given us. And God, as we open up your word, I hope you use those words from, from your Bible and you use your words through me that, that lives can be changed today. God, I, I ask that you use me in a way that you see fit. And I ask that just for these next few moments as we're here in this building, as we're contained in these four walls of your church, that we put away the outside distractions. We put away the stuff that that may be bothering us or consuming our thoughts. And just for these next moments, we open up our minds and we open up our ears and our hearts to take what, what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at Titus today uh, in the second chapter. And here's, here's what it says. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that his very own eager to do what is good. Right, so it's a, it's a lot of words, it's a lot of, lot of passage, right? But we're going to break it down and we're going to focus on, on three things. And so the first thing that I want to kind of focus on is that we see that Jesus came to redeem people who trust in God's grace. And we see this in the very first part of this passage and we see it at the very end. In the first part it says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And the very end of it ends with this, that Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So this first part is telling us that that the rescue that we need 
is found in the grace of God. And that first, that, that word grace, right? We, we, we know that word. We've heard that word. We've sang that through amazing grace. But, but what is that, right? That grace is what it's saying. Is that is our, that undeserved, unearned love from God that you, there's nothing you can do to earn it, right? It's that free gift that he gives us that saves us. And the first step to becoming this kind of person we were created to be is realizing that we can't get through this on our own self-effort, right? Like that's what separates Christianity from every other world religion. All other religions tell you, hey, you have to do these good deeds. You have to travel to this place. You have to pray this way. And God flipped that all upside down. He says, no, all you have to do is accept this free gift. You can't earn it. You're not, you're not deserving of it, but I'm giving it to you because I love you. And if you're like me, you've tried navigating through this world on your own. You've tried doing all the right things. You've tried saying, hey, I think this is where God wants me to go, so this is the direction I'm going to go. But if you're, if you're like me, there's been days that you just keep your head down and you try to work hard. You try to work to support your family. You try to be supportive of your kids and your spouse. And you try to put on this smile as a mask to show the world that, hey, yeah, I'm happy. Everything's good. But at the end of the day, if, you, if, you, if you're not following in God's steps, if you're not accepting of his grace, at the end of the day, you feel empty. Right? At the end of the day, you realize no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I forced myself to do what was right, I failed. And I continue to fall short. But the beauty of all of this, and once you finally like release yourself of that, that control of trying to grip that steering wheel so tightly that your knuckles turn white and you're trying to take control of yourself and you give it to God, the beautiful thing about that is that is how we were designed to do it. We were not, we were not designed to drive this car by ourselves. We were designed to hand it over and to have God do it for us. We are imperfect people with a perfect God to carry our burdens. So our first step to becoming this kind of person we were created to be is to realize that we can't get through on our own self-effort. So the grace of God has appeared, and that brings salvation to the world. And that's for men, it's for women, it's for the young, it's for the old, it's for the rich, it's for the poor. And every kind of person can receive this free gift, the grace of God, that undeserved love and favor of God. And our passage says that the grace of God has appeared. Well, it appeared in the manger on that Christmas morning. It appeared as human form, God in human flesh as Jesus. And you cannot access God's love, forgiveness, and favor apart from Jesus. So the, the passage reinforces that Jesus is the grace and says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So this refers to what Jesus did for us at, at, on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect, God-honoring life in human flesh. And then he agreed to die a cursed death on a cross that we deserved. Right? Because Jesus gave himself for us, 
If we are united with him in faith, we, only by the grace of God, will not get what we deserve. And I don't know about you all, but this is one time I am thankful that I don't get what I deserve. Right? Like, we love that saying, hey, you're going to get what you deserve. You do good work, you're going to get what you deserve. We, we do not get what we deserve, and it's only because of the grace of God. Uh, so this gift of grace, this gift accomplishes two things. First, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. He came to free us from rebellion. He came to free us from our sins and our chaos and our confusion. And I love this word redeemed because in ancient world times, redeemed, what it meant was to be able to buy back your freedom, right? And they were referring to people who, who were locked up in slavery and they were able to buy back their freedom. And what Christ has done for you is he bought your freedom so that you will be free, right? We, are, we as people are selfish. We are bonded up by our sins. And yet Jesus gave himself for us and his death on the cross was the payment for our freedom. And the second thing is he gave himself for us to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So if you're like me, you're like, well, what, what, what does that mean, right? It means he came to remove your guilt. He came to remove your shame of your sins as we fall time and time again. He paid our debts. We are debt-free, right? He did all of this so that we would become his people eager to do good works. Indeed, Jesus didn't just die to forgive us and then leave us right where we are. He died to forgive us and make us into the kind of people God created us to be. So the very first step of becoming the kind of person God designed us to be is to stop thinking or trying to get there through our own self-efforts. Stop trying to navigate your, by yourself, right? It doesn't matter where you are in life, right? If you feel like you've got to clean up certain parts of your life first, like I've felt that way, right? Like you feel like, oh, I've got this addiction and I've got to get rid of this addiction before I can come to Christ. Or I've got this sin in my life. I've got to stop doing this sin, then I'll come to God. But that's the exact opposite. We can't do it right? We will never beat that sin. We will never beat that addiction until we bring our burdens to him. And that's exactly how he designed us to be. So your first step to becoming the kind of person God created you to be is to receive that free gift of grace. And then step two, we'll go back to Titus here. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, we need to see that Jesus is the kind of Savior who doesn't just, sa just save you and then just leaves you there, right? And if you're, if you're an early Christian, like if you're new to the whole thing of faith, and, and you'll, you'll feel lost at times, right? You're like, okay, I, did, I got saved. I've, I accepted Jesus. Now what? Right? It's not, it's, Jesus isn't going to leave us there and say, okay, you're 16, here's the keys to the Ferrari, you can't drive stick shift, good luck. Right? No, that's not what Jesus did for us. He's going to save us, but then he's also going to cleanse us and redeem us and teach us the way that we should live. The same grace that saves you also instructs you 
so you won't go back to living the sins that Jesus died to cleanse you from. You see, there's a lot of do's and don'ts throughout God's work, right? Like we see, we see all these do's and don'ts, and as a parent, right, we have boundaries set for our kids. They don't always understand it, right? They don't always understand why we're telling them no. And, and Kaylee, plug your ears. There's times I just say no just to teach her what no means, right? Like, like there is no rhyme or reason, right? But God does that for us. Those don'ts in the Bible are not to steal your joy, right? But they're there to protect you and put you in a, in a place to grow. Um, the, the passage tells us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So you're asking, well, what is ungodliness? Well, that's anything that's contrary to God. And the second uh, don't in Titus is to say no to worldly passions. Well, passions within themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. The part of that's wrong is that word, word worldly, and I struggle with that so much. So worldly, right, passions. Because when you have those worldly desires, it casts a shadow over everything else. So the problem is those passions and desires rise from a broken and backwards world. And uh, one theologian put it this way, and I loved how he explained this. Worldliness is anything that makes sin seem, seem normal and godliness seem strange, right? So if you're asking yourself, is this worldly? Is this ungodliness? You've got to think to yourself, what does the Bible tell me? What did God's word tell me was sin? And if I feel like I'm normalizing sin because of what the world says, then that's the opposite direction I need to go in. Grace teaches us to say no to worldly desires due to sin. And the passage continues to say, live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. And I love that the author here, Paul, said, uh, said in this present age. This is only a few years removed from Jesus. But yet, they were having the same struggles of living ungodly lives in the world that they were in. Now, their struggles may be different than our struggles today, but it doesn't change the message. In this present age, there are things that are worldly that we have to stay away from, and grace allows us to say no to these things. And self-control is your ability to restrain your passions, your impulses, and thoughts to live free and not like someone who is a slave of their feelings and appetites. So I don't know about you all, but have you all seen the, the Snickers commercials, right? Where you're not like, hey, you need a Snickers, you're hungry, right? You got the, you got, I've got a hangry child. I've got two hangry children, right? And when they are hungry, it is clear they get in a, in a bad mood. They're hateful. And part of it is the one's a teenager now too. But, but they, when they're hungry, they are unbearable. And it's like, hey, you need to eat something. And I, and I love that idea that Snickers commercials like, you know, you're not yourself when you're hungry, so here, eat this Snickers. And they're not saying, I'm not saying that Snickers is godly. I mean, it's really good, but it's not on that level, right? But what I'm saying is that when you let your appetite take control, you can be a menace to everyone around you, right? And so, and you're not who you're supposed to be. So this is what the grace of Jesus does. It comes into our lives, and it teaches us to get control of our feelings, and our desires, and our appetites, instead of letting them control us. But the grace of Jesus comes into our heart and says, there is something better for you than whatever you previously wanted. 
You're right, and that's where that self-control comes in. And it makes it so much easier to have self-control when you can focus and know whatever you think you want, whatever you think you're going to earn, God has something way bigger and way better for you. And when you know that and when you believe that, self-control is, is much easier for you. And then the passage goes on and says, upright and godly lives are the words in, uh, in the passage that refer to how we treat others. Right? So self-control focused on us, how we handle ourselves. Then upright and godly lives talks about the others. And there's, there's several passages on how God spells out how we live in upright ways, right? He spells it out in the Ten Commandments, and they're very straightforward. If you don't know, don't kill anyone, right? There's one. If, you're not, if you've yet to kill anyone today, check that one off. You're good, right? Step, you know, don't steal, don't covet, etc. Those are written out plainly, clearly for us. But then on the other side, there's these positive ones too. And he tells us, you know, the, they had asked Jesus once, you know, Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, listen, this is a little extra side nugget for you because I normally teach teenagers, especially teenage girls. And let me tell you a little secret about teenage girls. They don't love themselves, right? And I'm going to be completely transparent with you. As a 37-year-old man, I don't always love myself. Right? But we cannot love our neighbors. We cannot extend God's love until we love ourselves first. So I always try to tell my high schoolers and middle schoolers that, hey, guys, you have to love yourself first. You have to be able and okay with who you are so that you can extend God's love elsewhere. So you begin to realize, and this is the really tricky part and the hard part. It's after you have allowed Jesus to, to give you that self-control. And now you're starting to live this, un, you're, you're starting to, um, excuse me, you're starting to live in this upright way. Then you start realizing, man, that means I've got to extend this love to other people. And, and let's be honest, we all have that person in mind right now that we don't want to extend that to. We all have that person right now that gets on our nerves that we dislike. But, but once you start following Jesus and you can see it in the light that, hey, God did this for me and I was undeserving of it, guess who else he did it for? That person that you dislike, right? He also, and so when we start to begin to realize that the people you were called to treat with love and people, Jesus made them. He loved them. He died for them just like you. So whatever happens when you get a life like this, right? When, when the grace of Jesus comes into your heart and teaches you to say no, that you're not a slave to your desires. What happens when the grace of Jesus comes into your life and leads you to your neighbor as, and tells you to love your neighbor as yourself? What happens when the grace of Jesus comes into your life and changes how you look at God? You begin to live a life of freedom and love for the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing because that's how God designed us from the very beginning. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we have to begin and we have to try. And I'm going to be, if you've never have, that, have ever felt that freedom that you get when you accept God's love, it's unlike anything you've ever felt. 
Because if you're like me, you've gone through this world. You've carried burdens and you've, you've carried heart, you know, heartbreaking things. You've carried worldliness desires on your chest that you know are wrong. But when you come to Jesus and you ask him saying, yes, God, I accept that, that free gift. I accept your grace. That feeling of what was on your chest that was bearing down, just is, it's just like a relief, right? And there is no other feeling like that. So here's what Peter said about it. He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter is telling, you know, they're, they're exiled to a different land where, where they don't believe in Jesus, right? Just like we are today. We're in a world that don't always accept and believe in Jesus. And, and they, are going to, they are going to treat you like a foreigner at times. They're going to exile you away. And, and our natural desires... It's to be angry at them, to bite at them, right? To, to be hateful towards them. But he's telling us, hey, you need to live such good lives that even though they're going to accuse you of wrongdoings, they have nothing left to say, but hey, those good deeds are the way that God designed them, right? So Jesus has redeemed his people. He cleansed us from all guilt. He set us free from the power of sin so that we can learn to live in such a way that others will see our lives and say, so that is what the world is supposed to look like and will when Jesus returns. And if you're like me, and I know I'm up here and I'm talking, but I still struggle sometimes sending that invite to a friend to come to church. I still struggle sometimes having those one-on-one -on -one conversations about Jesus because I hate rejection. I hate being told no. I I hate if I mess up. What if I say the wrong words, right? We have all these anxieties. But listen, if nothing else, live a life so that other people view you and say, there's something different about them. There's something that's designed the way it should be, right? And then, just another little side nugget, this one's free too. If they tell you no, they are not rejecting you. They are not telling you no. They are telling God no. They are telling Jesus no. And it is our jobs as Christians to see lives transformed. And if we don't share the good news, if we don't tell them about God's grace, then who will? Right? So, um, and this kind of leads me to my last point, and I'll go ahead and ask the band to kind of come up and join us here. We are not people, we are not just a people who trust in God's grace instead of ourselves, and we are not just people who live a good life in freedom and love. We are also people who have blessed hope. So the passage tells us, while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our entire life is carried out on this posture of hope, that we do everything while waiting for the blessed hope to appear in the glory of our great God and Savior. And our faith teaches us to be a better person here and now. But it also teaches us that Jesus is the world's judge. And when he returns, and, I, and I'm going to say, when he returns, everyone will give an account for him. 
There will be no hiding. There will be no excuses. You will be accounted for. And our, uh, our great hope as believers of Jesus is in his return. As his people would live the good life, but we anticipate that return. Because this blessed hope we have in Jesus returning strengthens and fuels our desire to do good. We must understand that the second coming of Jesus is not coming to erase humans. Right? But he's coming to judge us. He's coming to complete the human race. And he's coming, and this is the biggest part here, he's coming to take us from this world to eternity. Right? The second coming of Jesus reminds us that his victory is not in question. The end of history has already been written. And you don't have to fear tomorrow because it's already been won. And that is the hope that sustains us from giving up when we feel like we're not getting anywhere. We should be a people who trust in God's grace. We should be a people who live a good life according to what God made us to do. And we should do everything on that blessed hope that as we wait for His return. So this Christmas, this is exactly why Christmas had to happen. Jesus, God had to send Himself in flesh to, to show us what His design was for us. He had to send His Son to live a perfect life to pay for our debts. Right? And this is the reason for the season. Jesus came to redeem his people. And my question for you today before we go is, are you one of these people? Are you one of these people who have accepted his grace? Are you one of these people who are doing good works because not because you're told to, but because you desire to? Are you one of these people who are, who are living on that blessed hope that when Jesus returns, He's not coming to destroy us, but he's coming to take us to live with him in glory forever. Right? And so, uh, as we wrap up here, these altars are open. They are for you. And if you have never taken that final step or that first step of accepting Christ as your Savior and accepting that free gift, today's the day. Do not leave without being fulfilled. Do not leave without having that freedom. And I'll be more, I'll be up front here. I'll be happy to pray with you. Grab someone that's near you. They'll be happy to go with you as well. Right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your, for your son and for your grace. We thank you that he was able to live a perfect life that we were designed to. And, and he died a cursed death on that cross that we deserve. God, I just ask you that during this Christmas season that we focus in not on the lights and the presence and the family time, but we focus in on, on you and the reason you had to, to send your son. And God, I ask that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who, who doesn't feel that freedom, that they get that right before they leave today. In Jesus' name we pray.